Hello, everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lombardo. I am always grateful to be with you guys. I have an exciting guest on the show with me. He is a close, close friend of mine that I've known for years. I love him, believe in his ministry. But like always, I want to get into a scripture just to start off. This is a scripture that many of you guys probably know, but it's out of Romans chapter 8 and it's verse 28. And it goes like this. I'm going to read to you from the NASB Bible. Okay, so this is Romans 8 verse 28. And the Apostle Paul says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. This is a scripture that I know that many of you may know. You know, if you go into a Christian store or online, you know, you have, you know, a picture on the wall or it's on a shirt. And it's just one of those scriptures that a lot of people hear over and over again. But this is a very deep scripture. This is a very important scripture, especially in the, in the time that we're in now where there's so much uncertainty, so many people are facing financial issues, emotional issues, so many people are going through a lot with family and sicknesses and, and all, the, all that's taking place in America with the economy and the shaking and all around the world, not just in America. And so we need to cling to the Lord more than ever before and we need to believe that God causes all things in our life, good and bad, to work together for our good because we love him because we cling to him, because we trust in him more than the economy, more than the world system, more than anything else, more than money. We trust in the Lord. He is our rock. He is our foundation. We're called according to his purposes and nothing in the natural could shake that, affect that. And so we're going to dive into this a little bit here today. And um, I'm going to, you know, no further ado, I want to have my guest on the show. His name is Gabriel Zamora. He is a husband and father. He has been married for 10 years to his best friend, Dominique, and is the father of Gabriel Joel, Judah, and Eliza. Um, He's got three beautiful children. They're close friends of mine. We spent a lot of time with them. We love them. He's also currently the assistant director of, of City to City LA. He's also served in youth ministry for 12 years in different contexts and regions. He is also in high demand. He speaks all over the world. He's done ministry in 23 different countries across four continents. At an early age, he was called in the ministry Comes from, you know, a pretty you know rough background of poverty, drugs, gangs, and violence. He's going to share a little bit of that with you here today, but he's a Christ for the Nations graduate, um, also doing tons of theological study right now. Um, but Gabriel, man, thanks for, thanks for joining me today on the program, man. Man, thanks for having me. Bro, I love you, man. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I love you, man. I'm so glad to be here. Dude, it's always awesome spending time with you. Um, for those who may not be familiar with your ministry, your background, one thing I love to ask my guests on Awaken Podcast is... What's your story, man? You know, I just shared a little bit of who you are today. Um, just briefly said that you have, you know, you come from a background where there was lots of drugs and poverty and gangs and things like that. How did you encounter the Lord at such a young age? You were called to ministry at 13 years old. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'll give a little bit of the uh, cliff notes. Um, my life started off on the wrong foot, uh, you know, so to speak. In fact, I actually took my first steps inside of a county jail. My wow. dad was on trial for the first of three convicted felonies he would have by the time I was eight years old. Wow. I was 11 months old in the county jail in the visiting room. It's actually where I took my first steps. Mm. Uh, my father began to continue to sell drugs, was in and out of prison, violent gang member. And um, when I was four and five years old, my mom got invited to an all-women's Pentecostal Bible study. Come on. So she she had come from like a Catholic background and was kind of a nominal believer in Jesus, uh, go to mass, maybe uh, on mm-hmm. Christmas and Easter only, she was yeah. like a CEO. Right on. Um, and so she she started going to this Pentecostal, but I really felt community, people come around her. 
So they would have these meetings and these kids would, we would show up and our, our moms would have us and we'd stay in the back room, we'd color and play with toys. Well, like every good Pentecostal meeting, it take it goes for longer than it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And so they, I walked down and was like wondering what they were doing. And um, these women, I was asking them questions about what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. They begin to explain Jesus to me. They explain, explain the gospel and, and what he did for me and uh, in this five-year-old's mind, it was it captivated me, and they actually led me in a sinner's prayer at five years old in the midst of all of this. And I, I just got this insatiable desire for Jesus at such a young age that I, when I came home, I asked my mom if I could start watching uh, the, the TV preachers, the Christian TV preachers. Mm. I didn't want to watch Scooby-Doo anymore. I didn't watch <laughs> Disney. Um, yeah. I wanted to watch TV preachers. And so like most kids, I started mimicking what I saw on TV. I would line up all of my stuffed animals and start to preach to them. Yeah. And I would tell my whole family, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to, I'm going to preach to the nations like the people I saw on TV. The interesting part is, is contextually that was completely uh, misplaced. No one in my family was a believer. My mom was a budding new believer. Mm-hmm. You would say my dad's continuing to still be in and out of prison. All my cousins are drug addicts. Um, again, no one is a believer. And so contextually, it's completely misplaced. Mm-hmm. And my mom's kind of, we're journeying through this. By the time I'm six years old, she is tired of the drugs, the in and out of prison with my dad. And so she decides she's going to divorce him which really spins my life off off the deep end because mm-hmm. we're not afforded the protection and, and some of the provision that he would bring even in a dark lifestyle. Yeah. And so um, at six years old, I'm living out of a car with my mom and my brother. Mm-hmm. We go from living in a car to living in homeless shelters. All during this time, I am witnessing violence. I The first time I saw my dad shoot up heroin and put a needle in his arm, I was five years old. First off, I saw someone get shot. Uh, I was four years old. Mm. Just kind of stained, really early, impressionable memories that you kind of don't forget. Yeah. At six years old, I remember going into the homeless shelter, and we spent holidays in the homeless shelter. Really crippling poverty. Yeah. We ended up getting into the project housing um, through the government, and uh, which only exasperates that situation. You are put in a context where there is only more of what you already see. Yeah. And at eight years old, I sat inside of a federal courtroom, and I saw my dad be sentenced to 22 and a half years in federal prison. Mm. Wow. And uh, as he's cuffed, he wasn't able to hug me on the way out of the courtroom. And he squats down with his hands behind his back and he tells me, Mejito, which just means little one in Spanish, it's time for you to be the man of the household. And so, in a weird way, at eight years old, I thought I had to be a husband to my mother mm-hmm. and a father to my brother. And um, it was a sentence that took him away from me. My dad's never saw me throw a baseball, run a football, shoot a basketball, wrestle in a match. He didn't mm-hmm. see me date. He didn't see me get married. He didn't see the birth of any of my three children. So it was yeah. really, really tough. And um, there were nights where I cried and just wished dad could come home. There's something about a dad that's so powerful yeah. in the life of a child. By the time I'm nine and 10 years old, my mom is really struggling to pay the bill. So she starts to do some things that are really out of her character. She starts to move drugs in and out of the prison system for organized prison gangs. Mm-hmm. And um, long story short, she ends up dating one of the high-ranking members of this gang, Um and, uh, you know, History Channel would come and do a documentary on the gang I was raised around on a show called Gangland, calls the bloodiest gang in the Southwest. At 10 years old, they stuck a knife in my hand and were teaching me how to stab someone. Mm-hmm. So um, I started to take on what I thought was uh, masculinity, this perverted sense of masculinity. It's violent. And, um, you know, coming from the, the 90s when gang culture was strong, hip hop culture was reinforcing violence. And then I really saw it in real time. I wasn't trying to... Uh, 
subscribe to a culture. Mm-hmm. I was at the epicenter of this culture. Yeah. And so there's one, there's a sense of being in the hood. And then there's that one house in the hood. I was that one house in the hood. <laughs> and um, so in my middle school years was extremely violent. And um, just to fast forward a little bit, was rolling around with gangs, rolling a bandana out my back pocket, which for those of you listening, that just means you're gang affiliated and flying mm-hmm. the colors. By the time I was 13, um, me and my best friend were taking his uncle's gun and um, doing some silly things. Yeah. And uh, But then I had a crazy youth pastor mm-hmm. who reached out to me and my brother at 13 years old and um, brought me into this local church and just believed in me like crazy. And um, at 13 years old, I heard the gospel again, and those dreams of a five-year-old preaching the gospel came back. And I said yes to Jesus uh, going in my freshman year. And um, my youth pastor allowed me to preach my first message when I was 14. And I just became hardcore for Jesus. I looked at all the gang members. I said, we can do whatever you want. You, if you're feeling froggy, leap. You can beat me up. You can take me out. I'm just going to let you know I'm here and I'm banging Jesus. I love Jesus. Yeah. Sorry for all these urban euphemisms, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going for Jesus. And yeah. so he, he captivated and captured my heart. And I've, I've never, ever looked back. Um, there's still so much of that story, but that's that's how I encountered Jesus and kind of the inception of all of it. So you encountered the Lord again. Your youth pastor came alongside of you, um, really ministered to you, discipled you, because a lot of you know young people get saved and then you know they're still in that lifestyle, that culture, right? And they could easily backslide. You know, when did you meet your wife, Dominique? Was it you know and at youth group? Like where where was that? Because I met you in your early twenties. Mm-hmm. You know, and you guys are just in love with Jesus in Bible school. Like, how did you guys? rise above besides just continually going to church you know what i mean like yo it had to be a daily thing you know just rising like out out of the culture you know what i mean representing jesus not going back to that lifestyle especially when family members and everything were were still trapped in that absolutely so what's crazy is this is usually implied it's never usually explicitly spoken but many times uh, in the church when we communicate the gospel there's kind of this implied understanding again no one really says this because we wouldn't we wouldn't say this but there's this implied understanding that when you encounter Jesus, life's going to get better. Yeah, It's going to get easier. Well, it didn't for me. So my mom was selling drugs. She had never done drugs. Yeah. So when I came into the church and started serving Jesus, she actually picked up a crack cocaine addiction. She got addicted herself, then which morphed into a meth addiction. So in my high school years, in my home, they were selling heroin and meth. So I was waking up at five in the morning to pray. I was telling everybody about Jesus and I would come home and I'm watching my mom high. Mm. I'm watching her crash from meth binges and having to sleep for days. Um, I'm watching my stepdad and everyone traffic coming in and out as they're selling these drugs. And so it was a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And actually, when I was 18 years old, so I continue to serve God faithfully through my high school years amidst that backdrop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was incredible is I had this, this community of faith that if you're listening to this call, you have to, you cannot separate the importance of being in community is, is, and not just this singular relationship with Jesus. Like, listen, at the end of the day, our faith is a personal one, mm-hmm. but it's a team sport. It's not a private one. Good. That's and good. so it's a personal faith. Why we have a personal relationship with Jesus, but we don't have a private faith with Jesus. When yeah. Jesus calls Peter, James, and John, he doesn't just call Peter to follow him alone. He calls Peter to follow him with James and John. That's right. And mm-hmm. so it's this crazy, amazing community in this local church that came around me. There's no way on God's green earth, I make it without the practical application of people who are willing to be surrogates for me. Wow. Awesome. So at 18 years old, I walk into this, uh, my buddy invites me to this other church where they're doing an outreach to raise money for their summer camp. 
mm-hmm. but in this other youth ministry, and I see this blonde girl walk by, <laughs> and she's bad, boy, she bad. <laughs> and uh, that happens to be Dominique. And um, so we start hanging out, you know, like kind of this Christian community. We're all hanging out. When we went to IHOP, which was not the International House of Prayer, was okay, the International the House pancakes, of Pancakes. pancakes okay. And so we're eating pancakes, and one day someone asked Dominique to share her story, right? Because Christians love that. Like right now you're asking me to share my yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. We like to hear the redemptive work of God and what, what God's done. And so long story, she starts sharing her story. She's like, my mom is a heroin addict. Dad's an alcoholic. She grew up with a single father. Mom mm-hmm. was in and out of prison her whole life. And I'm like, wait, what? And she's blonde. Yeah. So she looks completely suburban. Like, yeah, yeah. like what? Like, I'm, I'm tripping at this point. And um, so, you know, I was kind of a little cocky. I was like, really? Like, when's the last time your mom used heroin? Because I'm dealing with so much pain. And she's like, she's still a heroin addict. And I'm like, what? So fast forward, we end up falling out. We're best friends, and we start going after Jesus together. Mm-hmm. And we are no, not looking back. We start uh, sharing Jesus with our family, with anyone that would listen. At 21, I get married to Dominique. We get married. Mm-hmm. So we get married young, which was interesting. I'm, I'm skipping over stuff. My mom was starting to try to get off drugs. She was enrolling in sure. a community college. I was supporting my whole family. So I was really grown by the time I was 21. By the time I was 17, was financially supporting the family. So at 21, usually when you get married, you assume more responsibility, but I was actually absolved of responsibility. I only had to take care of that one little blonde girl, which okay. was easy. Yeah, sure. And so we start going after God together. A year after that, we feel called to go to Bible college in Dallas, Texas at Christ for the Nations, which is where I met you. And you met us as a newlywed. We'd only been married a year. And um, and we just started believing God for our family. And so we, I mean, we are the perfect recipe for dysfunction, but God, um, I'm telling you, the gospel is that potent and that redemptive. I don't know another, the only common denominator between myself and anyone else in the neighborhood or the context in which I grew up is Jesus. In fact, I'm the only pers- uh, young person in my neighborhood that by the time I was 20 years old wasn't dead, strung out on drugs, or in prison. Literally every single one of my friends was dead, strung out, or dr- or in prison. And so we come over here, and um, long story short— we we uh we just start believing God for our family and in that crazy time span my mom gets clean off of drugs um my sister-in-law who was hooked on heroin she was mainlining already went from oxycotton pills to mm-hmm. uh from synthetic opiates wow. to mainlining we bring her over here to Dallas to a teen challenge she's been clean for man I don't even know 8 years my mother-in-law, we get her out of out of jail, move her into our home, love her to life, get her in into a teen challenge. She's married now. She's been clean for five years. My mom's been clean for eight or nine years. My younger brother is in law enforcement, um, got away from the streets. So this redemptive power and work of God went really beyond just me and Dominique um, and to the point on May 2017, May 24th, 2017, my dad was released from prison. Come on. And he came right into my home. And really, for all intents and purposes, I didn't really know him. Obviously, we knew each other from phone calls and letters. And he lived with us for a year. And um, he's still learning to function in society, a little bit institutionalized and kind of a baby Christian, learning to walk and know Jesus. But he's still out of prison. Come on. Yeah. He doesn't live with us anymore. He actually has gotten married to a Christian lady. And, um, and God's still writing our story. And there's still some stuff that, is is difficult when you come from a family with systemic brokenness like that. Um, but that's how me and Dominique let, um, and what I didn't know, and you've shared in the bio, is that that young boy that had a dream to preach to the nations, um, 
I think there's still so much more in my heart that I want to see God do that I believe he still wants to do in and through us, but it's already taken us to 23 countries on mm-hmm. four different continents. Um, Amazing, bro. I remember in Bible school when I met you, dude, you're reading all these books by uh, uh, evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. Yep. You know, traveling to the My nations, hero. man. You want to preach a gospel, lay hands on the sick, you know, big crusades, you know, the whole nine yards. And then you felt like a tug in your heart towards youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when we would just have some chats and everything. And I remember God put on my heart to tell you something very straightforward. I said to you, bro, if you're not involved in youth ministry in some form or fashion, I'm not saying you need to be full blown youth ministry, but if you're not ministering to youth in some capacity, you're in sin. And I don't always talk like that. I don't. But I just felt in my heart like God plucked you out of the darkness, out of the world system, out of brokenness, and you guys came out victorious. Obviously, still being refined, still going through life, still growing, maturing in Christ, but you came out victorious, and now you've got a message. You've got sympathy. You've got compassion for young people. And I just know there's parents listening to this or grandparents listening to this, and they're concerned about this generation. They're concerned about their kids, about their grandkids, you know what I mean? Especially with how, you know, everything is so in your face and kids are getting involved in stuff younger than when they used to, you know what I mean? And you've been in, you know, pretty much at the front lines of youth ministry for how long now? 12 years. About 12 years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, before we get into the meat of this subject a little bit, like what would you say to parents grandparents that are listening to this right now concerned about their grandkid or their kid you know growing up in such a dark world where all this stuff is just vying for their kid's attention they've got phones with access to anything they could possibly want on it you know being at the front lines dealing with the youth for the past 12 years what would you say to encourage them yeah i would say this that um rest god is good i think that when you're anxious and you're really uptight about it we communicate uh, a silent message to our children that we're asking them to accept the one that we do not. Yeah. Because we're not accepting that he is good, that he is peaceful. And so in a more practical application, I would say this. Remember that the kingdom of God is like seed. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 4, rather, verses 26 to 32, really covers two parables about seed. One where the farmer sows and it begins to produce. He doesn't know how day or night it grows. Mm-hmm. The Greek word there is for automatos, which is automatic. It automatically grows when that seed is is planted. The, the second parable in that section is this, the size of the seed. It's a, it's a mustard seed. And it ends up becoming the largest of all the garden plants in the area. So when it becomes, and it says, and the, the birds of the air and the, and the creatures of the, of the ground come and find its shade in it. Yeah. So that seed that's sown ultimately becomes about more than just the seed, right? So my story was there was a seed planted at five years old, and now it's become hopefully a place of solace and a place of rest and a place of refuge and redemption for others to find. So I would say this. The seed of the kingdom is undefeated, and it always starts small. It's undefeated. God is unthwarted. He's unparalleled. He's Mm -hmm. not up in arms right now over your child's faith. And if you continue to sow the seed, continue to love them, you have to allow results to be placed. The onus is on God. That's God weight. If you take that weight on yourself, it will crush you. Think about this. The first messianic prophecy in the Bible— Genesis 3, 15, he tells Eve, your offspring is going to crush this, his offspring's head, but your offspring's going to bruise his heel. Well, that word offspring there is Hebrew word zered, which means seed. Mm-hmm. Your seed crosses through the generations and millennia, through the corridors of time, through the Davidic line, through prostitutes, and through the brokenness of humanity. 
and shows up in the form of Jesus. And then John chapter 12 says, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can't produce much fruit. Well, which was that seed? It was the seed of the living God, Jesus himself, that God the Father sowed into the ground. In three days it was planted and was risen again to resurrection life. So here's, here's the fact. Your child may have to go through some dying, mm-hmm. but this seed is undefeated. Amen. Resurrection comes on the other side of death. Death has to be the prerequisite for resurrection. And the second part is I think that God has a story to tell, and that bush is going to be something more than you could ever have imagined. Um, and so if you're, if you're believing for that young person, such a difficult—I want to communicate compassion, how um, deeply we feel that. But I want you to deeply engage in faith and say, God ultimately brings results. My job is to continue to sow the seed. That's good, bro. My um, my parents, I was a prodigal. I was the mm-hmm. fourth. I ran from the Lord as hard as I can. For those who have listened to the podcast, I know my story, kind of what I got into and everything like that, how the Lord touched me and saved me. Um, but they were always pulling me to the side, sharing the gospel with me. You know, my dad would use big words like justification, sanctification, repentance. I don't know what he was talking about. Spirit, soul, mind. It was going in one ear out the other. At least I thought I got saved. And honestly, I, it was seed in my heart. You know, it, it germinated. It came alive once I came to faith and my eyes opened, you know. But at the time as a teenager, I thought it was going in one ear and out the other. My mom praying for me. They're always, you know, concerned, calling me. They didn't know where I was or whatever and dragging me to church, forcing me to go to church. Yeah. You know, but then I'm 18, 19 years old and it's like this kid's an adult. We could drag him to church at 14, 15, 16. But now that he's 18, 19 years old and, you know, my mom's singing in the choir. My dad's an usher in church. And so they are trusting that I'm going to show up in church. But then I don't. And they're looking around for me, all anxious at church. Where's Michael? Why isn't he here? Whatever. They just they finally said, you know, Lord, he's he's yours more than he's mine. He's he's yours. And we're not going to force him to do this. We're going to put him completely in your hands. And honestly, dude, I'm not saying that this is exactly the reason why, but I'd say about a year later, I encountered the Lord, maybe even eight to 12 months later, I encountered the Lord radically. I came to the end of myself and I cried out to God and he heard my prayer, you know, Yeah. Um, and he answered me. And so, but it was that decision of like holding on to forcing, ah, love God, go to church, rah, you know, like yeah. a lot of times out of fear, you mm-hmm. know, because you love someone, you want to see the best for them. But it's that place of, you know what? I am going to keep sowing. I am going to keep loving you. I am going to be intentional. I am going to pour into your life. I'm going to tell you the hard truth, you know, but at the same time, you're God's mm-hmm. and I trust that he's got you. And that brings peace That's right. and rest because now it's not up to you. It's up to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so that's a powerful thing, man. Yeah. And, you know, and this is kind of a good segue even into what we're talking about today, about trusting God, even in the midst of suffering. And you're not um, a stranger to that. No. <laughs> Seeing, you know, your father in prison, family members, back and forth on and off drugs, you know, um, growing up around gang violence and everything that you were talking about, you know, having to support family members. I know there were seasons and times where you'd say, oh yeah, well, you know, I got, I got a couple of kids. My father's moving in. And then this family member went through this or this friend went through this. And it's just like, man, like you guys were young serving God, fulfilling your calling and having to take care of people around you. So you're not, you know, um, a stranger to living by faith. Mm-hmm. sacrificial living, trusting God in the midst of chaos. And so give us a little bit of scriptural context here and just share share on how, how people that are listening right now, they're going through all kinds of circumstances right now. How can they trust God and cling to God even when everything's painful, you know, even when there's immense suffering right now? Absolutely. I think I think first we have to remember, right, as the this is being 
uh, dated. We are recording this on May 6th in probably the sixth or seventh week of quarantine. I can't even remember how yeah. many weeks it's been. Mm-hmm. Our world is going through a global shaking. And so the reality, what makes this so unique is we're all in this storm. Mm-hmm. We're in different boats. So our yeah. experiences are a little bit different, but we're all in this storm. And so no one is a is exempt from being touched um, by this, whether it's even being through empathy through someone else who has it a lot worse than you. And so I, I think the church, if I'm speaking to Christians right now, you have to remember First Peter chapter 4, that dear friends, don't be surprised when fiery trials come. Yeah. You, you can't be surprised. This is, this is the world. Um, that we live in, it's broken and it's it's um, it's not yet fully redeemed. We're not in a Revelations twenty one moment where it's a new <laughs> Jerusalem and everything else. Sure. Um, don't be surprised by these fiery trials, but rejoice and be glad because it's ultimately going to produce something. That's that's a really difficult scripture um, to engage with, but I think that many times i am i am a, a full blown card carrying pentecostal charismatic okay <laughs> but i think many times yeah proud of it come on <laughs> and and just you know and like you already noted it doing yeah. theological studies and hope to get a phd here mm-hmm. soon so but one thing that i've noticed with us pentecostals if i could speak to us as insiders just for a second we don't have a really good working theology of suffering Mm-hmm. Um, we want to, which is not a bad thing. And I believe that God wants his goodness displayed. You started off reading the scripture, Romans eight twenty eight, and listen, at the end of the day, this is all going to work out for your good. So at the end, this is the reality. If it ain't good, God's not done. That's right. That's, That's scriptural. That's not a bad place to stand on. Mm-hmm. And yet as Pentecostals, we can sometimes feel like it, well, simply, if it's not good, we weren't praying hard enough. We didn't declare hard enough. We didn't decree enough. We didn't pull down every stronghold. And and the crazy thing is, is I've been reading through the book of Philippians over and over. And Paul's writing in social isolation, quarantined in prison. Mm-hmm. And he's distanced from a people he's really desirous to be around. Like he loves the Philippian church. Sure. Like he's he's super like elaborate and flowery with his words towards them. Other churches, he's like, yo, rebuking them. But this this church, he's really, he really loves them. He's proud of them. And he's really desirous to be with them. It's very interesting in the first chapter, he says in verses 12 through 14, he's like, I'm going to paraphrase for sake of time, but he says, listen, because of my chains, the gospel has advanced and this Roman guard is coming to knowledge in, 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 with Jesus. And so in this pandemic, I think is, as Christians, we can kind of feel like, well, in spite of this, the church is going to grow. And I'm saying, no, 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 because of this, yeah. the church is going to grow because of our suffering. And you can lead to the assumption that I'm saying God sent this. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying God's using it. Oh, for sure. And he will always use suffering. The end of that chapter in verse 27 is so interesting. Paul says, it's our honor and our privilege to not only trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer with him. (laughs) So following the will of God doesn't make you impervious from hard times and trials. I think that is usually the, uh, the, the, uh, the intellectual uh, claim against Christianity that if there's a good God, if I was really trying to uh, run after him, that, that I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have to deal with all of these trials or these sufferings. And so, so here's what I want to get to. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, second part of the verse, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I think we all want to know the power of the resurrection, sure. but don't like the other side of that coin, and the fellowship of his suffering. It's a very interesting 
scripture there to know that suffering is not a place of separation from God, but a place of fellowship. So whatever you're going through right now, I want, I want us all to lean into, myself included, into the fact that God draws near to the brokenhearted. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He is with us in our suffering. In Daniel chapter 3, you see the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love this text. We've preached it 50,000 different sure. ways. Yeah, yeah. What I love about it is that who does the fiery trial come to? The edict that they were all supposed to bow to the statue was given to every person in Babylon, including all of the other Israelis or, or Hebrew children. Yet these three young men are the ones that didn't bow. So the ones getting sent into the fire were the ones doing the right thing. <laughs> that's hard for us to swallow. If I'm doing the right thing, I wouldn't be going through a fiery trial. Oh, I must have missed God. Maybe it's my sin. Maybe it's whatever have you. And they say this, they, they, they tell King Nebuchadnezzar, we're never going to bow to you. And even if our God doesn't save us from the fire, we're still not going to bow. They end up going into the fire. And what happens? A fourth man appears in the fire. So there's fellowship in the fire. Jesus appears in the fire. Come on, bro. And the reality is, is I, what I want us to know what trials and suffering do is they don't reveal Jesus. They don't, Jesus doesn't appear in trials and suffering. He's revealed in trials and suffering because here's the truth of that text. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what only became evident to everyone else around them, what was already evident to them before they went into the fire, and that was Jesus was with them. So Jesus doesn't just come all of a sudden incognito into our suffering. He was there before the suffering. So suffering many times is like an x-ray. It reveals what's already there. There's nothing medicinal about an x-ray. There's nothing uh, uh, in terms of medicine or, or, or in terms of rehab that's going to fix the broken bone. But all the x-ray does is reveal what's already there. And here's the problem with many of many... Much of what has happened in the church, we've had swells and we've had these what look like numeric growth at other points and look like a God moving. They weren't swells because there was growth. They were swells because something was broken. If I broke my hand, it swells. But when I go to put pressure on it, we'll know very quickly that it wasn't sustainable. And here's, so here's what this trial is doing. It's an x-ray that's revealing what was already there. And here's the if you've built on something faulty and maybe you thought something was growth, here's a moment to course correct. There's grace. And lean back into Jesus. And, and so they walk through this fiery trial and there obviously it reveals what was already there. The truth is God was with them before the fire. He's with them in the fire. He's with them outside of the fire. In the fire, there's a fellowship. And there's this shaking. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29 talks about everything's going to be shaken. But we serve an unshakable kingdom. Therefore, in reverence and fear, we can still worship our God, for our God is a consuming fire. Come on, man. He's, so everything's being shaken, but here's our promise. We serve and we subscribe and we are under and in an unshakable kingdom. So no matter what happens here, this kingdom is going to be unshaken. The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. And then the latter part of the text in Daniel chapter 3 says, as they come out, What's always on the other end of the fire is, is promotion. They get promoted into leadership in, in a pagan country as exiles. That's crazy. As yeah. the marginal, marginalized, 
you know, uh, a people, the alien in Babylon, they get promoted into leadership. And then my favorite scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, and it says, and they didn't even smell like smoke. <laughs> Such an interesting scripture. Smoke is very pervasive. Sure. You ever absolutely. been around a smoker? They don't think they stink, but they do. Oh, sure. Bonfire? Yeah. You and reek you like it for, for days. You yeah. almost got to throw away that shirt yeah. because like Downey can't take the smoke smell out. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's the promise for all of us. There's going to come a day where COVID-19 won't smell like smoke anymore. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a day when your child walking wayward isn't going to feel like smoke anymore. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a day where that that hurt and that pain and that anguish of losing a child, of losing a job, of going through so much suffering won't even, the sting is no longer there. All there is is a memory of the power and glory Mm -hmm. of God. And they didn't even smell like smoke. Most people, you're looking at me right now, most people would never know that I had ever went through that background mm-hmm. because me and Dominique don't even smell like smoke. Most people think we could walk in the suburbs right now <laughs> in Scottsdale, Arizona sure. on yeah. a golf course and be chilling Yeah, because by God's grace, we don't smell like smoke. Yeah. And um, that's awesome, bro. Yeah. That's so good, man. I love that. Even just thinking about, you know, you're talking about, you know, people have a hard time sometimes with this theology of suffering. There's a lot of prophets, messengers, people And they focus on suffering, they focus on hardships, they focus on judgments, right? And they have that other imbalance of people, just like in the Old Testament, they always preached uh, prosperity and always prophesied prosperity and blessing, and that's all they said. But God said, you're false prophets, only saying there's peace, only saying there's joy, only saying there's blessing. So there's this middle place, you know, of the gospel. And I just even, yeah, man, I feel like, you know, even the first church, bro, nothing but, you know, persecution, right? There was persecution because they were living, they were in the world, but not of the world. You know, and the world didn't get it. You know, the carnal mind can't comprehend the things of God. You know, so when we, when we radically live out our faith, man, there's, there's resistance from the world and the spirits that are in this world trying to discourage us, trying to trying to take us down. And man, I just, um, even hearing your story, bro, it's so encouraging. And I feel like, you know, my wife and I, when we got married, we met in Mozambique, Africa, and we um, lived with very little for a long time. Uh, didn't have a lot of money. Really lived poverty level <laughs> just by faith. Yeah, I got... witnessed all of that. This is all true <laughs> in facts for those of you listening. Oh, yeah. You guys are amazing. And for the third and fourth year of our marriage, man, we lived with my family, you know, with a baby. And my wife is pregnant with uh, with our second. And we didn't have enough money for an apartment. And we were scraping by. God told me to quit a job that I was doing to make money on the side and do full-time itinerant ministry. And that's what we did, man. And God told me to give away all the money that was in my savings account. And that's what we did. I didn't want to do it at first. I kind of hesitated. It took me maybe a few weeks longer than it should have taken me to do it. But guess what, bro? At the end of the day, I did it, you know. And God, um, when he called us to come to Dallas, he spoke to me out of um, the Psalms. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 127 where it says, you've sowed in tears and you will reap with shouts of joy. And I felt like I was refined. My faith was tested. I came out stronger. Me and my wife came out stronger than ever, more united than ever. We've, we had some fights. We had some disagreements. We've had some anxious moments where we had to get on the same page and talk through things and pray together and trust God that it's going to, you know, we have all these prophetic promises on the inside of us of a house one day and all the kind of ministry we're going to be doing together. And, you know, and and God, man, as for, for years, trusting, being refined by that fire, the trials of life, the lack, you know, and coming to a place where Jesus matters more than anything, living for him matters more than anything. And then coming to Dallas and just prosperity and blessing and increase and favor opening up. It was just like, man, you've sowed in tears and you'll reap with shouts of joy. Just like you're talking about promotion comes, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of it, it might not be a week, you know, it was several years for us, you know, but we saw that breakthrough. And we're, you know, I also believe there's this test with having little 
just like the Israelites going through the wilderness, having nothing, living off the manna, you know, living off the water that's coming from the rock. They're complaining. How are we going to get fed our next meal? We're going to die out here in the wilderness. And then there was always in the old covenant, um, you know, written in the old Testament where they would, the prosperity would come. They'd be in the land flowing with milk and honey and they would be blessed and this would be happening. And that and another test came with that. Mm-hmm. Are we still going to serve God? You know, like it's easy to write a check for $10. You got a tithe check when you make a hundred bucks, harder to write one for a thousand mm-hmm. or 10,000, depending on how much money you make. You know what I mean? Right, right. I feel like you know, the apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. The same, same book you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I've learned to be content in all things. I've learned to have little and I've learned, you know, and he's writing that from ha- prison. He's writing this from prison. I've learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've had little and I've had much and I'm content through Christ from a yeah. prison cell, dude, yes. writing these things. And there's just something so powerful about what you were sharing regarding yeah, every time suffering is mentioned in the Bible, it's with him. Mm-hmm. It's a fellowship with Christ and his sufferings. There's this oneness, bro, where we're empowered, strengthened in our spirit. There's this there's this union, bro, that just keeps us alive in the midst of all of this. Yeah, can I add something to that? Absolutely. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses. Yeah. And so Jesus feels what we're feeling. He has went through that. One of the most powerful scriptures for me in all of the Bible, and it's the shortest scripture in all of the Bible, is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Now, the context of Jesus wept is Lazarus has died, but he's promised everyone that he's not going to die. So if God told you something and then you didn't believe it and you're acting all up in arms over the fact that it didn't come to fruition the way you thought, you're probably in, uh, you've merited a good rebuke. Mm-hmm. But Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He weeps with them, even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. Because God is not just the God of the miracle. He's the God of our suffering too. So he enters into their suffering with them and weeps with them to ultimately see the miracle. The last thing, Mark chapter 4, you remember when the disciples are going over the Sea of Galilee and they're caught in a a storm. And they say, Jesus, don't you care? (laughs) It's very interesting because they didn't question his ability. They questioned his character. They believed he could. They believed... Just to know if he wanted to. Yeah. I believe we all think God could deliver us from this present suffering. We just don't know if he wants to. So we question his character. Very easy to believe in God's ability. Much more difficult to believe in his character. Yeah. The only thing that keeps you through suffering, because it looks like in our very small purview, like God's absence, the only thing that can keep you in suffering is his character. One of the scriptures I quote to myself all the time is Psalms 116.7. Be at rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Past tense. It's this referencing towards your past to ultimately let your future know who holds it. Yeah, that's good. That's you know, good, bro. It's wow. this referencing towards your past to mm-hmm. ultimately let your future know who holds it. God, mm-hmm. let me at rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you that we can trust in the character of god and not just his ability that's good dude. so for those who are listening right now how i'd want to you know kind of bring this in is bro you know we're talking about all this right very deep subject sharing about the, the goodness of god suffering that takes place for believers not necessarily because of anything we did it's just you know we're just going through life right mm-hmm. and god uses all things for our good you know for those who love him and are called according to his purpose and so i'd love for you however you feel led I'd love for you to encourage and just pray for the people, you know, um, here. There's a lot of people in different circumstances, man. And so just however you feel led, man, just pray for the people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus, we just um, 
we come to you in in a moment of real pain and suffering. This is a once in a lifetime, a once in a generation type moment. Lord, but I pray that you would keep people safe in your arms. So we just come to you right now, God, and we, we're waiting for you. Your promise is that all those who wait on you shall renew their strength and mount up like eagles and soar. So God, we're coming to you for strength, for the weary, for the broken, for the hurting, for the perplexed, for those who really are struggling with anxiety and depression. We declare peace. And Lord, we ultimately look to you that Hebrews 12, 2 is true. You're the author and finisher of our faith. So we declare this isn't good yet. So we believe you're not done. So God, make all things good. We ask you to work all of this out for your good. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, bro, for being vulnerable, sharing your heart, you know, um, your story and the scriptures with me today, man. It's awesome having you with me. Man, thank you for having me. I love you. Awesome, bro. I love you too. For those who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, review, rate the show so we can get it out to more people so they can be encouraged, challenged, and strengthened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, share with your family members, friends. If you've been encouraged by this, if you feel like somebody needs to hear this, maybe they have a loved one that is straying from the Lord. Maybe they're going through um, a whole lot of stuff right now. Make sure to um, just just share it with them. And actually, before I get off the show today, hey, Gabriel, how can people connect with your ministry, bro? Yes, yeah, so on social media, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, um, primarily on Instagram. That's Gabriel R, my middle initial for Raul, R, Zamora, Z-A-M-O-R-A, or on my website, it's ZamoraMinistries.org. And uh, would love to connect with with all of you. That would be awesome. Awesome, yeah. bro. So how could, so when they when they go to your website, what do they find there? Your, your itinerant schedule, different things like that? Things like that. Uh, how to book me as a guest speaker, if you'd like to have that. We are in the process of releasing a few things. Going to start a, a next-gen coaching network. I really want to awesome. pour into youth pastors and young adult pastors. Um, with my work with City to City LA, they're going to find some stuff on there from church planting. We're in the process right now because of COVID-19 getting a lot of stuff, content up onto YouTube. Yep. We'll start to release some blogs and devotionals. The other thing you'll find is uh, part of our income as a family comes from mm-hmm. generous support. So there's a give link there. Mm-hmm. You can click on that and just designate your gift as a more ministries and follow the promptings. Um Every bit helps. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to Awaken Podcast, and I'll see you guys next time.